Let me start with a prayer. Gracious and Heavenly Father, for this day we give you thanks and ask, as ever, Lord, I ask, I beg, in fact, that you would be here as we uh, heard this morning in one of the anthems, uh, that your word would go forth and it would not return to you empty. Uh, Lord, speak and allow uh, what you would have known. Uh, speak and let that word, that word spoken, create um, that which you would have known. Uh, especially, Lord, as we come before this wondrous and awe-inspiring word uh, that your Son uttered from the cross, it is finished. Speak that word and give us a word of, of comfort and assurance and surety where it is sorely needed. I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it is good to see you all this morning. Um, uh, good to meet people that I hadn't known Uh Today is a bit of a meditation almost, as I was thinking about this morning, um, meditation on a single word from the scriptures, which really only occurs twice, two times in, in the span of three verses in John's gospel, um, to telestize the word in Greek. Um, don't be afraid of that. It's not unimportant. There's no test. It's just, uh, it's just one word, which we translate typically into three words. It is finished, hence the very slight play on words. There's no... No great cloak there on the title of the class. Is it finished? Question mark. Because um, what I want to do, and sort of in the meditation of this this offering, and of course in the class this size too, you know, interrupt, ask questions. That's what I like the most, anyway. Um, I'm going to say that the declaration that is uttered from the cross, which is a final word, it's a final declaration. It is finished, and I'll break that out in just a minute. Of how especially in the wonder of God and his timing uh, of sending his son born of a woman, born under the law at a particular time in a particular place into a particular language, that being Greek. Um, that was all part of his providence and his provision uh, where the word to tell us die uh, has a power that we really don't connote in English in any of our tenses, any of our grammatical ways, but in, but in Greek it says very specifically and fully, it is finished. A past event which happened has now, uh, for all the time that time would be, all this is contained in this one verb tense, a past event which happened for all the time that time would yet be, will never be repeated again, will always stand as an event which has power and which has finality, and which has completeness. There's no revisiting it. There's no returning to it. It it simply is. To tell us die. It is finished. And so in this word, um, which we then translate into three words, it is finished. We can break out all three of those words and start to do it. Yeah, Charlie. For such a fancy word, you know, connotes all that and everything. What else would ever? When would you ever use it? Man, it's like you're just setting it up. So <laughs> set it up. Let me knock it over. In um, in the in the language where 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 the New Testament was spoken into, that being Greek and especially Koine, what they call Koine Greek, which is just a common Greek, it was a financial term primarily. They've they've exhumed financial documents from around the time, and and it'd be similar to how we would mark a bill, um, paid in full or something like that. Put a stamp that says paid. Uh, that's what the word would be, oftentimes in an abbreviation, but they'd find this, and they would just write to die on it. 
it is finished. It is complete. Um, once a bill is paid, at least for that debt, once and for all time, if that debt has been paid and my account has been cleared, there's no going back into it and say, oh, but you still owe us. No, no, I paid it and it was done. I bought something else and now I owe you something else. But for that first debt, it was done. And so in a very common way, um, it's just that. Once, fully, and for all time, a past event, my purchase of a scarf, which I do all the time. Why did I pull scarf out? Who knows? My purchase of a scarf, uh, which has been paid, the past event, once, forward, and for all time, has been finished. Paying that exactly for buying it from Amy. Um so it is finished. We break out the three, the, the pronoun, it, what does it stand for? Uh, the, the purpose and the end to which uh, it connotes, it uh, is the final and full um, act finished, complete, forever, for all time, not going backwards. I'm going to say that there's the pronouncement from the cross. It's Christ's last word. Um, it is finished. And then he breathed his last and he gave up his spirit. Um, or in, in, in the old version, the King James version, it says, and he gave up his ghost. It's a great great literary way. That uh, that's, that's the true truth. That's the statement of the way things are. In our life, we live, as I've said this several times before, we live functionally as atheists, in fact. Meaning we live, uh, let me say it a little bit more specifically, functionally, uh, I live my life as if God did not exist. I live my life atheistically, atheistically, as if Theos, God, um, was not. Um, which means that I live my life functionally as if I'm the only one that is. Um, sort of, you know, the inheritors of the Enlightenment and Descartes and all that stuff, if you're into philosophy. Um, I think, therefore, I am. I am my own world, an island to myself. If it wasn't for me, I wouldn't be, etc. and so forth. That's all sort of the philosophical underpinning, which only came about because it makes sense to the common experience of each one of us. It's common sense to think that I am in charge, and I am the one who has uh, power and uh uh, has a say in my life. That's the way we function. And so we come up with all sorts of ways which describe that. Ben Franklin was a master at it. It's easy to pick on because he's dead. Uh, but uh, all of his poor farmer's almanac sayings, like, uh, God helps those who help themselves. Um, functionally, that's an atheistic statement. God helps those who help themselves. Atheistically, we operate first. Um, if I help myself, well, then God will come second. So atheistically, functionally, he's saying, you know, get busy, work on it, and we'll come up with some other ways that kind of see all that. So here's the collision between um, the statement of Christ, the statement of God, it is finished, and the way that we spend our life. Um, the two collide headlong as we live our life, as our prayer book would say, um, according to the devices and de desires of our own hearts, uh, we live in a way that seems as if it's not finished, that there's an open-ended question that I'm still struggling to make sense of. Um, it's not finished. I need to get busy. It's not finished. Um, it's still up to me. Um, yesterday was great, but you know I've still got to come up today. I've still got to make a sale. I've still got to, I've still got to, you know, deliver a baby. I've still got to do my next thing. 
Um, there's always tomorrow, and that's a fearful way to live. Always chasing tomorrow, always thinking that yesterday's in the past, tomorrow is coming. Uh, you know, I'm only as good as Nolan Ryan said is my last strike. Um, I've got to repeat the pitch again and again and again and again and again. So, to restate all that, the premise is that we live most of our life as functional atheists. I live my life as if God did not exist, was not active in my life, or did not move or do something finally and fully, once and for all time, a completed action. And the consequence of this is that in the common experience of each of us, as we do move that way, the problem of being human, which means it's common to every single person who's ever lived, is that we're trying to make backward sense and and say, well, if I'm living my life this way, maybe God's going to sort of work with that, rather than seeing God moving against that. And so that's what I'm trying to flesh out. Does that make sense? That's kind of where we're going, this little meditation on the word to tell us die. It is finished. So why don't we put my coffee down. Um, got some, just a bunch of verses uh, that we won't go through all of these, I know, but... Um, uh, take them with you, and as Lent's coming, a lot of people sort of like to have something to go back to, and so speak of a quiet time or something similar to that. There's some great verses to to kind of center on in the next few weeks. Um, yeah. That's the problem of being human. Yeah. That's just the way it is. Yeah, it's the human condition. What we it would be. Uh, we may call it, I'm sorry, I thought I passed enough around. Um, what we may call common sense or a common experience, uh, that's, that's the way we live. And that's a real problem because I live, uh, as James, the Apostle James in his book would say, uh, as a man who as soon as he walks away from a mirror, forget what he looks like. So I'm there before the all-inspiring God and I have this... This, this exchange with him, and for a moment I'm transported, and it's transcendent, and I'm on my knees, and I realize this grace and this gospel, and five minutes later, you know, I'm just, I'm yelling at somebody because they cut me off. <laughs> That's always my example. It's not that it's reflective of my own life or anything, but um, uh, you can be in the third heaven, and the next moment, uh, you know, down in the pit of hell. Um, in terms of doubt or something you're doing or not doing or saying or not saying. Um, so trying to, to, to draw that out a little bit. Um, let's read the, uh, the, the, the verses from John. Um, since they're so short, read first from the ESV and then from the King James, just because the King James carries such a a weight to it with its old language uh, that, that it sometimes helps bring about a fullness of meaning. But in the, the, the ESV, um, after this, as Christ is on the cross here. Um, after this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, that's tetelestai. After this, Jesus, knowing tetelestai, that it's been paid, that it's done. After this, Jesus, knowing that it was now all, that it was all now finished, said, to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. And a jar full of sour wine stood there. So they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. Or in the King James, after this, 
Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, saith, I thirst. Now there was a vessel full of vinegar, and they filled a sponge with vinegar, and put it on, upon hyssop, and put it to his mouth. When Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head, and he gave up the ghost. So just a little bit, kind of flesh that out a little bit, what's going on. He's there on the, uh, the cross. He has been for six hours, and he's about to die. And he speaks, I thirst. And this John, at this point in his gospel especially, is taking great pains. There's nothing that happens to Christ that's accidental. Everything is given to fulfill a scripture, which says, even as all of this is happening, um, all of this, all of this was foreseen. None of this is happenstantial. Christ is not being killed. In other words, nobody killed Christ. Um, Christ gave his life freely. And we'll read that verse from John 10 in a moment. That No one takes his life, uh, but he lays it down of his own accord so that he may also take it back up again. Um, so everything that's happening is happening um, according to the scriptures. Um, and there's a, a psalm that says, and when I, when I spoke that I thirst, they gave me um, sour wine. Uh, that I might drink. Sour wine, this is sounds strange to us, but I assume it was as a preservative when uh, it was the it was the most common drink for just a common, you know, everyday laborer was 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 wine mixed with a little bit of vinegar. I assume as the wine for the wealthy went started to turn and go bad, um, they would throw it out and you would go and just put a little bit of vinegar in there, I would assume as a preservative. And that's what they drank like at meals, um, just kind of like we would drink water or something like that with a, with a meal. And so that's the significance of the sour wine uh, was that it was just there because that's what they would have had in the heat of the day. And when, when the centurions and the others were thirsty, they would have gone over to the, uh, to the igloo cooler and, and gotten some wine with a, with a cup. And that's what they're doing. It's there. And so they're getting it. So. You know, I always thought that that was good. Yeah, that's how we hear it. So, and earlier they did taunt. Um, this isn't to be confused with some earlier parts where uh, where they they offer him some wine mixed with myrrh, which was kind of like a, a sedative to, to sort of put him out a little bit. Maybe an act of mercy, maybe not. Another place they mix it with gall. I think Luke says that, and that's um that's actually a little bit of a poison. Um, they would have done that as a taunt. Well, here, drink this hot shot. Um, and it's probably not an act of, well, it's hard to tell. It could be merciful, it could be taunting, um, but the, the, they were giving him what they had and what they were also drinking, um, just what was common. Now what's uncommon, um, to fulfill the scripture, and they put it with hyssop. Now what happened, where do we see hyssop um, in the scripture? Several other places, but most notably in Exodus 12, I guess it is, at the Passover, where they take the blood shed from the Passover lambs and when it's in the bowl after they sacrifice it, they take a hyssop branch and they take the branch and dip it in the blood and they use that as sort of the brush, as it were, to smear the lentils so that the Lord would pass over. That imagery would not be lost on somebody who was steeped in the Old Testament scripture. And so, you know, common drink, but on hyssop, where now things are really sort of changed and the Passover uh, event is being brought right into the... Um, to the, uh, to the view. So a jar full of sour wine stood there, and they put the sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. And when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished, to tell us die. And he bowed his head, and he gave up his spirit. Um, 
Christ in doing this to Telestai. It is finished. Um, he doesn't leave any uh, chads hanging on. There's no questions like, well, did she mean to punch this out or not? There's no sort of string that's laying out there. It's all there, and it's full and complete. And we read in Hebrews 9, um, the verses right after that, this once for allness, where it was um, uh, never to be um, uh, repeated. Um, this was in the class that I spoke, Charlie, I think you were in there, that, that Hebrews class that I did a few weeks ago. There was, I don't think it's very prevalent now in the church, now what we'd call the Roman Catholic Church, but in the time of the Reformation, um, there was a strong sense that uh, in the Mass, at the Lord's Supper, what, what they would call the Mass, Christ was re-sacrificed, uh, as it were, each time we came forth and the priest stood in the place of the people, and he and he made the, the the body or the bread into the body of Christ, and the wine into the blood of Christ. Christ, as it were, was re-sacrificed again and again and again and again and again ad nauseum, ad infinitum. But these verses from Hebrews speak very forcefully. Um, but when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent or tabernacle, not made with hands, that is, not of his creation. He, Christ, entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. Or in Hebrews 9, nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high, or later in Hebrews 9, nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood not his own, for then he would have, had to, then he would have to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he, Christ, has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. When Christ comes back, he's not coming to deal with sin, but to save those, to take those, so to speak, um, who are eagerly waiting for him. Why? Because sin has been dealt for once, finally, and fully. There is nothing, there is nothing that we can do which will separate us from the love of God, which is in Jesus Christ our Lord. There is nothing that we can do or say or not do or not say. There is nothing that we can be, sort of in the soul of our, um, in the deepest part of our soul, that will now be repugnant to God, which he will say, um, uh, Sinner, I can't abide that. Um, now, if you come back to me, um, you know, we can start over again. Uh, the it is finished is saying there is nothing that we can do which will separate us, ever. There is no sin which could be committed. The most heinous thing which is leaping into your mind, but surely if I did that, not even that, would be able to undo this once final and full event that was declared truth on the cross of Christ. Because I'm here, that's the it, it, the cross event, the atonement, um, is the action for once and for all time finished, a completion that will never be uh, taken away. It can't even be approached. 
it is locked, and as the Bible then gets very florid in trying to describe it, it is thrown into the depths of the sea, uh, so that as far as the east is from the west, so far has God forgotten our sins, or removed himself from our sin. Far as from the east from the west. This has been said several times, so if you've heard it, it's worth hearing again and again and again. If you keep traveling east, how long does it go before you travel west? You never make it. You just keep going east. Different from north-south. If you travel north, how far is it until you get to be south? You pass the pole, and then you go south, then you go north. You never, ever, 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 infinity, uh, begin to go the other way. As far as the east is from the west, so far has the Lord removed our sin from us. It's really remarkable. It is finished. So that's kind of the meditation on the word. About to shift gears and say some ways that commonly, now our everyday experience, um, with a lot of sort of pithy aphorisms that I've come up with or kind of remembered, and you know, would love some feedback and see some others. It's not really hard to kind of uh, to get it. All you got to do is go to a high school graduation, and you will hear 99.8% of the time a word which is directly contradicting of this. Why? You know, it's no slight against high school seniors or seventh graders or anything else, but it's common. It's in us. It's what. It's who I am. You know, left to the devices and desires of my own hearts, I will make something that makes sense of my own sort of the, the way I would do things, and that's just not the way God does things. Um, so let me stop. Hit pause. Any any comments on that? The it is finished. East from west. Once finally and fully. Once for all. Etc. And so forth. Um, apropos of your burning yesterday, um, Paul Zoll, the former dean here, he wrote a little book before he came here, before he did all of his studies on the atonement, called Who Will Deliver Us? And he's got an, an image, which uh, is an arresting image. Um, and it's even funnier if you know Paul, because he's, he's, uh, he's as unlikely to show up as a duck hunter as... as uh, as, as, as really, if, if I could name 500 men, and I said, who's least likely to go hunting? I think Paul's all would probably be that one. Because here's his, here's his paragraph. I am a little like a duck hunter. So Paul clearly was given this image, if you know Paul's all. I'm a little like a duck hunter who was hunting with a friend in a wide open barren of land in southeastern Georgia. Far away on the horizon, he noticed a cloud of smoke. Soon he could hear the sound of crackling. A wind came up, and he realized the terrible truth. A brush fire was advancing his way. It was moving so fast that he and his friend could not outrun it. The hunter began to rifle through his pockets. So you see the, the, the thing. They're out in this, this field, barren stretch of land. On the horizon, they realize that a fire is coming towards them. They have nowhere to run, nowhere to hide. They can't get out. So the hunter began to rifle through his pockets, and then he emptied all the contents in, uh, of his knapsack. He soon found what he's looking for, a book of matches. To his friend's amazement, he pulled out a match and he struck it. He lit a small fire around the two of them. Soon they were standing in a circle of blackened earth, waiting for the fire to come. They did not have to wait long. They covered their mouths with their handkerchiefs and braced themselves. The fire came near and swept over them, but they were completely unhurt. They weren't even touched. Fire would not pass. Uh, 
where fire had passed. The, the law is like a brush fire. The law is like the brush fire. I cannot escape it. But if I stand in the burn-over place, where law has already burned its way through, then I will not be hurt. Not a hair on my head will be singed. The death of Christ is the burned-over place. There I huddle, hardly believing, yet relieved. I believe in the atonement. The law is powerless. Christ's death has disarmed it. Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. It's that arresting image. It is finished. Even something, the tomorrow coming, the inevitability of of our end, death itself, uh, the brush fire, anything you want, tomorrow's you know, uh, uh, work day, the numbers next month, um, the inevitability of death, uh, the conversation that you know you have to have when you know, so-and-so is coming for graduation this year, whatever it is that's out there looming on the horizon, uh, fire cannot pass over where fire has already passed. And it is finished is the word which speaks a burnt-over place. It is finished is the circle in which we find ourselves standing. It is finished is Christ in whom we stand, so that when the judgment of God, which is truly true and really real and actually going to happen, comes, we are in Christ, in the burnt-over place, and so God pours out his judgment on himself. That's the cross. It is finished, and that judgment is fully swallowed right down to the last drop and it's complete and it's not ever uh, and it never touches me not a hair on my head is singed by the certain wrath of God I have no fear even of death there's a great essay um, uh, that's what the Puritans called their books because it's about that thick but he called it an essay by a Puritan named John Owen called The Death of Death in the Death of Christ. It's such a great title if you think about it. The Death of Death in the Death of Christ. Death has died. Um, when God died on the cross, the crucified God, even death is now uh, has no more power over us because of the burnt over place. The atonement is final and full. So, in a meditative way, we can continue and read some more of these verses. Um, say Galatians 4, 4 and 5. But when the fullness of time had come, that being uh, how the Bible describes the event of the cross, that, that history leads up to the cross and then history falls away from the cross. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Or in Colossians 1, 15 and 19, He, Christ, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And in 1 Peter 2, 24, in that idea of, of in Him the fullness of God being pleased to dwell, he himself, in that fullness, bore our sins in his body on the tree, so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds we have been healed. And then, um, no, we'll stop. Let's go from there. Uh, again, place for a pause, for a comment. Here's some places that I just think as I, uh, uh, sit at my computer and just start typing, almost kind of stream of consciousness. 
little aphorisms, whether I've heard them exactly like this or ways that I would sort of succinctly describe um, the common experience of every person who's ever lived. In other words, trying to set up, this is part of the problem of being human. When I look in myself or when I fall so easily, as James would say, in forgetting who I actually am and leave forth from here, and when push comes to shove, or as Joe Gibbs' sermon was trying to say, what is it that you really care about? This is how um, my self-centeredness emerges, my selfishness, my bent inwardness, that I'm sort of you know, the master and commander of my own fate. Uh, in other words, ways in which this idea, it is finished, is not actually believed. Um, have you heard something similar to this? Um, God's part is finished. Surely now I've got to do something. God's done his part. We're now left to do ours. You know, some sense that God started it, but I'm here to finish it. Um, it's finished, but it's not over. I read that this week. Not looking for it. It was just there. Um, uh, God helps those who help themselves. I mentioned that one earlier. God has given us his handbook for how to live his life um, and the way that he wants to live. It's now our responsibility to use it wisely. This is usually the Bible. A good friend of mine, in fact, um, this was Max, uh, uh, gave a talk to our youth group, and, and it was it's a nice, clever little acronym, but he said the Bible has an acronym, uh, is an acronym for Basic Instructions Before Leaving Earth, B-I-B-L-E, and I couldn't disagree more. I didn't tell him that. Actually, I did later, but not, not then, because we asked him. But I think that's fundamentally wrong. Um, I'm saying that hopefully to provoke a little bit of a response. Um, well, if the Bible is not an instruction book, then what is it? If the Bible is not a guidebook, then what is it? If the Bible is not sort of the manual, then what is it? And these are, we, we don't get preached here, but gosh, that's, that's a common word that's out there. And we stand against it. I stand against it. Um, I want God to be happy with me. Um, or I, uh, God wouldn't be pleased with that, or, well, God's a little bit disappointed, or, you know, what we tell our children, um, when it's raining, it means you did something wrong because God's got sad. We don't tell our kids that, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it's out there. So, why is it raining, Mommy? I don't know. You must have done something and God's really sad. So, um, that's all wrong. Um, now, can we properly say what God wants? I think on occasion we can, but we've gotten far too flippant in using that kind of language to say, well, God wants what God wants. Usually it's what I want or what I think. To impute, to use an old word, upon God desires or affections, which is which we can do. I don't want to say it's wrong. Um, just We should tread lightly because most of the time it's going to be reflective of this common experience that somehow... The ledger is still open, and I'm trying to make something up. God wants you to be a little bit better. That stands totally against it is finished. He's not looking anymore for improvement. He's not looking anymore for ethics. He's not looking anymore for progress or for um, just that whole category. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's flawed from the beginning. Um, uh God's waiting for you to make your move. He's waiting for you to ask, to open the door, to to, 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 to put your feet out, to be washed, whatever else it's going to be. Um, uh, I can't be forgiven for that. He should not be forgiven for that. Every time I hear a phrase like that, I think of that powerful movie, The Mission, 1987 thereabouts, something like that, with Robert De Niro, excuse me, and Jeremy Irons. Has anybody seen that movie? Do you all know that movie? 
it's worth watching. Go home today and, and download this one. It's uh, got a fantastic soundtrack by, um, what's his name, Senio Morioni. Um, there's a, uh, some, some melodies there that you'd be familiar with. And Robert De Niro is a slave trader um, in the, what would be probably the, uh, the early 18th century in, um, in Uruguay, what's now Uruguay. Uh, and Jeremy Irons is a Jesuit priest. Uh, and the two of them are just colossal figures, you know, prime of their careers. It is a, it is a magisterial movie. Um, and Robert De Niro, the slave trader, in a fit of rage uh, because he was not loved by the woman who he wanted to be loved by, but in fact that woman loved her brother, he killed his brother. And now he is just riddled with guilt. And there's this scene where uh, Jeremy Irons, the priest, comes before Robert De Niro, and all the tension is built right up to it. Uh, and, and Robert De Niro says, For me, there is no forgiveness. There is no penance. There is no, uh, there is nothing that can touch what I did. I killed my brother as he was leaning against me by throwing a knife under his ribs. Can God touch that? Can he heal that? Can he forgive that? Because it was no defense. I did it because I wanted to. I'm kind of playing it up. He acts it in a way where he says all of that and 10,000 things more. It's a really great movie. Right there. It is finished. Um, as far as from the east is from the west, there is forgiveness. Um, and it doesn't even have to be earned, asked for, stepped into, um, brought. It simply is. It is finished. That sin is exactly the sin for which Christ died. Um, so, anyway, I think you know where I'm headed with all that. Um, and you can go on. I've got all these other things. Jesus makes a great life coach. She's my co-pilot. He only wants us to get along. Um, Jesus' most important role was as a teacher. He's got a lot to offer us if we'd only listen to him and do what he says. The world would be a much better place. Imagine, you know, John Lennon, etc. and so forth. I mean, this stuff captures all of us. And can we can kind of be moved along. Yeah, you know, yeah, if we would just do that, we'd be better off. And well, of course we would. That's the common experience. But the problem is none of us ever, ever, ever do it. And that makes the atonement, this event, it is finished if you do what I say or if you just get educated. And what a, what a reading of sin. Sin is, is a, the, the, the problem of being as human is, is education. And if we would just educate and, or learn, we'd be okay. Man, that's a wrong idea. Um, that, that, that's a, that's sin management. And a lot of people think that's true. There'd be a lot of people that come back at me and say, you're being way too hard. I love to have those conversations with people. Um, cause I, 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 in, in no way did Christ come and say, it is finished. I've said all I wanted to say. Uh, I've given my lecture and now I'm ready to move on. Um, it's his sacrifice once and for all, as the words would say, um, say in second Corinthians five. It is for our sake that he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that we might become the righteousness of God. Um, we might become that place where there is no fear, no anxiety, no stress, no, uh, 
uh, no worry about the smoke on the horizon or the crackling which we're hearing uh, louder and louder or no fear of the grim realization that the fire is approaching. Um, that God made him who knew no sin to be sin so that everything opposite of that would now simply be because it's a statement. It is finished. And from this point forward for all time, things are never, ever the same. I'm going to stop. Um, we may end by just reading Isaiah 53 uh, because it's such a great word to uh, to read. But any comments or any thoughts? Any disagreement? Um yeah, Pat. I've been told that God will forgive any sin except those that we already know are sins we commit in any I'll just be very straightforward. I, I disagree. Um, I, 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 I hear that too. Um, you know, of course, I'm in those circles. I mean, as a pastor and all that. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm laying these things. Our willfulness and our awareness of sin only exacerbates the problem. Um, again, it's not that now that I'm educated, I'm held to a higher standard. I'm now in Christianity 201 rather than 101 because uh, although it's by grace that you've been saved, now our sanctification, our Christian living, is on a different category or on a different basis. And so now that you know better, you know, sort of day two after you came up the aisle to see Billy Graham and all that stuff, um, now that you know better, well, you better quit drinking. You know, quit, quit, quit cheating on your taxes. Quit, you know, yelling at, you know, your your mom or whatever else. Quit being impatient. Quit being anxious. Quit, quit, stop it. You know, it doesn't work. Just stop it. Um, uh, it's not human nature. It's not human nature. We, we can't do it. We can't not not sin. And that's an old phrase that goes all the way back to Augustine um, called concupiscence. Uh, it's who we are. That means it's original to us. Uh, it's the problem of being human. And so now we are in these in-between times where it is both finished and complete, but I still return to these sins like a dog returns to its vomit. Very gross and arresting proverb. Yeah. Well, it's the Bible, so I can only say, hey, it's not me. So, um, But doesn't it get it? I mean, doesn't it just evoke that certain repugnance of, 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 of no sinfulness? No non-Christian thinks of sin as a condition. That's right. Every non-Christian thinks sin is a committed act. It's what I do, and it's not and what you do. Yeah. And that's, I think, in that statement, God will forgive anything unless you did it knowing that you were doing it. Um, which would be, you know, or a lot of what you do. Yeah. Now, I do sin a lot and don't even know it's a sin. Yeah, yeah. Um, but but I, I'm positive <laughs> that, <laughs> um, yeah, so I've said enough. I, I disagree. Yeah, anytime you hear the word if, um, anytime, uh, in, anytime you hear the word if, my flag goes up. Should, must, ought. Whoop! You know, get your radar going. Uh, anytime you hear the word but, you need to tune in because it's going to go one of two ways. Um, it's going to go either to the declaration of God. We were, um, we are dead in our trespasses and sins. But God, who is rich in mercy, has uh, 
has been delivered over for your sins and raised for your justification. Or it's going to go the other way. Um, God loves you, but you need to be mindful of all that he's done for you. And can't you just wait with me one hour, Peter, James, and John? Can't you just do a little bit? I mean, I've done all of this, and all I'm asking for is just an hour. Just an hour. Can't you do that? And of course, they couldn't. They couldn't. Of course, I can't. Thanks be to God. So watch for the if, should, ought, must, run the other way. But tune in, because either you're gonna get, they're going to get it, or they're going to get it wrong. Um, it's a great word. Yep, great point, Henry. It's, it's called the sin against the Holy Spirit. Yeah. That's, that's what uh, uh, Jesus in... Matthew, I think it is, says the only unpardonable sin is the sin against the Holy Spirit. And you know, we really don't know what that is. Yeah, I can say this with, I, I would I would die on this statement. I really would. Um, it has nothing to do with doubt. The sin against the Holy Spirit is not about doubt or a weakness of faith or a moral lapse or anything like that. What's that? Not even, stoning Not even stoning Christians. I mean, Paul did not sin against the Holy Spirit as he bound Christians up and pulled them out of their houses and took them to, uh, to kill them. Saul. Um, the sin against the Holy Spirit, it's just what it says it is. It has something to do with the Holy Spirit, who is the, the person of God who goes before us and, 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 and creates that which wasn't there. And so somehow it's going to have something to do with an action of God. Now that gets us into a very sticky wicket, theologically speaking, about uh, uh, people whom God has, has brought forward under his arm and those he is, as it were, leaving out, the sheep and the goats. It's the Bible, you know, it's not the way I would write it, but that's what makes me think it's true, because if I wrote it, I would write it like Ben Franklin wrote his, ben, his Farmer's Almanac. It's just commonly smart, you know, get busy. Early bird gets the worm. Um, just so happens that I like to get up early, and so, man, that'd be great. So, but uh, it's wrong. It's wrong. So, I've prattled on. Um, take this sheet. These are great verses that speak towards the atonement, towards the finished work of God. Um, towards tetelestai, it is finished once, finally, fully, completely, for all time and all places, for every person. Uh, Christ, the one sacrifice, oblation and satisfaction, and not for my sins only, but for the sins of the whole world. Um, uh, it's a witness to um, my very great need, because even today, uh, I will walk out of here and, and forget who I am. Uh, and who am I? I am the one who has been spoken over. It is finished, Gil. Um, it's done. It's done. And uh, luckily my forgetting it doesn't change anything about the word. The word stands on its own. It has nothing to do with me. So, let me pray. Father, take these words, feebly offered. Um, correct me where I'm wrong. And strengthen your word uh, where... Um, where it was offered, or as a burnt-over place. Um, draw us there. 
hide us in you so that uh, we would have no fear, no concern, no occupation uh, with anything, whether it's known or no unknown, um, uh, some, some, something that I'm doing or not doing, or, a, or at a deeper level, just who I am, um, that I would have no fear for in that burnt over place, which is your son and his cross, I am uh, free and I am well. Uh, allow this word to echo in our hearts, particularly this Lent leading up to the, uh, to the Holy Week where your son dies and then rises for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks.